Hello, and welcome to Presenting, a podcast where we chat about various topics related to role-playing games, typically Paizo products such as Pathfinder and Starfinder, but also others. I'm John Godick, and with me today is Nicholas Logue. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, John, for having me on. A pleasure to be here, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for scheduling. You know, uh, you're way over there in Hawaii, and so there's a yep. time difference and all that. So, absolutely, yeah. Thank you for making it an easy time. Uh, so Nicholas has has written over fifty game setting adventures and supplements for Paizo, Wizards of the Coast, Cobalt Press, and several other gaming companies. Nicholas is most notorious for such classic adventure modules as Crown of the Cobalt King and Hook Mountain Massacre, set in Pathfinder's Galorian campaign setting and his extensive work for Keith Baker's Eberron campaign setting for Dungeons & Dragons. Nicholas founded the Iron Dungeon Master Tournament at Gen Con in 2004 and is widely regarded as one of the finest game masters in the world who combines his acting, stage combat, and improv skills to tremendous effect for his players and viewing audience and little uh, kind of uh, foreshadowing of you might get a chance to see some of that uh, up close here next week. Absolutely. Uh, when, he's not when he's not adventuring uh, in Dungeons Deep and Caverns Old, Nicholas Logue is the founder and education coordinator of Hawaii's Conservatory of Performing Arts at Windward Community College. He holds the rank of Associate Professor of Theater and currently serves as the chair of the Humanities Department. Nicholas is also a senior instructor and recognized fight director with Dueling Arts International, who teaches and choreographs combat for productions across the globe. You can reach Nicholas by email at logue at hawaii.edu. Well, first of all, I'm going to say, Nicholas, you are probably one of the most interesting people I've had the <laughs> chance to interview here, and I've done about 100 people in the industry. So that's, uh, that's saying a lot. I had very indulgent parents. You know, I wanted to do exciting, <laughs> adventurous things. And they were like, go ahead, I guess. That's fine. <laughs> so, no, I, I mean, uh, yeah, it's like kind of across the board. You've, you're like living every nerd's dream, you know, all <laughs> from, you know, the writing and the gaming and then actual doing it. You know, like yeah. I get to do cosplay for money and teach other people <laughs> how to do it. So. Exactly. I used to have a card that says, have sword, will travel, if that makes sense. Oh. Nice. Very nice. I did make a living nice. for a few years like as a vagabond fight choreographer. I just traveled around with a blade and taught people yeah. how to use them on stage, right? So that's kind of every adventurer's dream, really, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I've been lucky in life, and, and I'm real real grateful for all the luck, and I've had a lot of great mentors along the way that have given me opportunities to explore exciting things like stage combat choreography, acting, uh, training other actors as an educator. So um, I feel real fortunate to have those opportunities and to share them with the wider gaming world, which is my real bliss, is bringing all that to bear at the table. And, uh, you know, making sure we all have a great time together, making myths around the gaming table. No, that's that's super. I, I got to tell you, I, I like running games as a game master and dungeon master, but yeah. I don't I don't have much for acting chops. I was a, I was in the chorus for uh, for Camelot and a couple other oh, things. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> You know, so I get to play with wooden swords and wear fake chainmail. Yeah. Uh, yeah, then you're doing it right. Like that's exactly what it is. That's what we want to do: wear yeah. some fake chainmail yeah. and swing some wooden yeah. swords. That's yeah. a great, great evening. <laughs> so, so Nicholas, you've been really active in the tabletop RPG space for like over a decade. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about how you got started in that aspect yeah. of your career? 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, I was living in Be- in Beijing, China for a while. I was a Fulbright oh. scholar out there. And so mm-hmm. I was training in Chinese Jingju, which is like traditional Chinese theater. Some people call it uh, Peking opera or Beijing opera, but that's not a really good translation of what it is. Right. Um, and uh, while I was there, there was a spring festival, Chinese New Year happened, and I had like a month off. I was producing a couple plays and I was acting in some Jingjus and touring the the country, but I had like a month and a half off for spring festival. And my mom had sent me a care package uh, with a bunch of dragon and dungeon magazines that I'd had delivered uh, you know, wow. to my parents' address. Nice. And I had nothing to do for like a month. Like everything was closed. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was like a treasure trove, right? Yeah. Cause I grew up with the magazines and uh, dungeon and dragon magazine were a huge part of like from, from the, from the age of eight on, I collected those magazines and played mm-hmm. with my friends every afternoon and every weekend. But as like a designer, um, I, I got the Dungeon and Dragon magazines my mom sent and I saw the submission guidelines in the back. And I thought, man, I got nothing to do for like a month and a half. So I wrote three adventures and uh, submitted them to Dungeon Magazine and all three of them got published, which was crazy, right? Like I submitted three, all three were published. I was paid for the work. And I thought, man, that that was really fun. And so uh, I that was my last year in China when I submitted those adventures. And I was going to graduate school in Hawaii right afterwards. And so I had started a pretty great relationship with James Jacobs, who was the, oh, wow. uh, yeah. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's my first mentor in the industry. Yeah. It was really beautiful to work with him. He's still one of my very favorite people to even mm-hmm. to game with, but also just to like, think about games with and design with. Um, and uh, he, he uh, really took me under his wing. I'm really grateful for it. And I submitted dozens and dozens and dozens of things and, pretty much from like the year 2002 or three, I think through about like 2008, I was probably the most prolific freelancer working for Dungeon Magazine. Like at at any given year, you could pick a a mag and I probably had an adventure in it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like they published a lot of my work at that time. And I think it was because I was just writing wildly different stuff. Like I was coming from a a career storyteller background, someone who was an actor and a playwright and at that time, a director, I don't do much directing anymore. Um, and so I was bringing sort of robust stories to the to the fore um, and, and bringing my love of the game and melding it with those stories, making it these magical fantasy tales that were like high drama, you know, like they had a lot of punch and, and they had storytelling moments that were pretty hefty in them. And so, yeah, it was great. So I, I did a bunch of work for the magazines for years, um, really the golden age of my life as a game designer. I missed I missed those magazines so much. And then um, I still, I have the email. I framed it. I got an email uh, uh, from, I think it was Eric Mona, who was Mm -hmm. passing me up to Wizards of the Coast as a recommended freelancer. And then I ended up writing a bunch of stuff for the Eberron campaign setting. I I, I did Eyes of the Lich Queen, Voyage of the Golden Dragon. I worked on City of Stormreach with Keith and a bunch of other freelancers and uh, did a few other books and a few other adventures. I had a a trilogy of adventures in Dungeon Magazine that amongst the hardcore Eberron fans is considered like one of the best sort of trilogy of adventures ever. The first one was called Chimes at Midnight. The second was called um, Quoth the Raven. And the third was called Hell's Heart. And they were all about the same NPC, the bad guy, sort of like the the villain of, of all three adventures was this Sherlock Holmesian character who had lost his mind and freed all of the villains he had put away. And like led them now as like this horrible gang that was like doing terrible things. Like he had his mind had completely broken. 
and he had become this like this horrible sort of mirror image version of himself. It was like a Sherlock Holmes meets Jekyll and Hyde. And like I took all the themes from both from, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's work and Jekyll and Hyde and mashed them together. People love those those adventures. I still actually get messages from from Eberron fans who are like, man, I love Chimes at Midnight. That's a great I've run it like six times and stuff. So that's kind of how I got my start. And then when Paizo uh, went its own direction with Galarian uh, and and such, I was on like a super secret message board with like eight other freelancers. We were the eight, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, like the eight sort of masked freelancers who actually helped uh, with all of their early products. So I wrote their first adventure set in Galarian, Crown of the Kobold King, right? That was the mm-hmm. first one they ever set right. in their own campaign world. So I helped build all of the uh, setting around Crown of the Kobold King. The, the town of Falcon's Hollow was my town that I created, and uh, Dark Moon Vale was the area that I created, and other freelancers contributed to in exciting ways afterwards. But Crown of the Cobalt King was my first real branch out in Galarian and things, which was just re-released, um, I think, last month mm-hmm. or the month before. Right, yeah, yeah. Like a really nice deluxe leather-bound set and stuff, which I, I, I have, which I'm real happy about. So, yeah. Cool. And that was, that was me. And then, uh, you know, uh, I got a job in England um, running mm-hmm. a very aggressive theater course, and I vanished from the scene, actually with some ignominy in that, in that sense. Like, I started my own small publishing company before I got that job, thinking I was going to invest in the publishing company. And then I got offered my dream job. And so it sucked me to England. And it was like a it was like an 80 hour a week job. It was intense. Mm -hmm. And so my company failed miserably, my little publishing company. And uh, I was sort of a dark horse of the industry for several years at that time. And then wonderfully and beautifully, because that's the kind of people Paizo are, they stepped in and like, helped me get the seminal project for that company back on the rails with the help of Frog God Games, Bill Webb mm, and that whole mm-hmm. crew. And then uh, that was great because we finally got to deliver that product to all of these wonderful people who wanted it. And uh, and it, it sort of got me uh, back on the scene a little bit. There was one particular human being who's a lovely guy named Lua Gresta who really helped me pick up the pieces of that project in cahoots with mm. Frog God Games. And uh, I'll always like I, I had a lot of love for him anyways. He's a dear friend. And he is now he now runs the Iron Dun- Dungeon Master tournaments and things at all mm-hmm. the major conventions. And uh, he he was really intrinsic in helping me get that back on the rails and things. But I disappeared from the scene for a while after that until Paizo brought me back. And then I did uh, Lords of Rust, um, you know, that that adventure path. I wrote the first one. Um, uh, sorry, Lords of Rust is the name of the module. The 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 entire arc was called Iron Gods, right? So the Iron mm-hmm. Gods adventure right. path. The first installment was Lords of Rust, which I wrote. Uh, and then I also did a big module for them called Feast of Dust. I was about rhyming my titles, I guess, at that point. <laughs> so Feast of Dust, Lords yeah. of Rust. And then I got yeah. pretty busy with my current job. So I haven't done much in the last few years. I've contributed here and there to like uh, there's a game called Fragged Empires. Uh, that's a sci-fi mm-hmm. game that I've done a lot of writing for. But really, mostly, I'm just head down. I, I've I've founded the first ever conservatory, the first ever professional actor training program in the islands of Hawaii. And that's really been my focus for like the last eight years or so. Uh, so that's now like stable, uh, or at least it's beginning. And so I'm I'm excited to do more gaming and get back on the scene. And this event 
the Red Raven that you're, you know, helping me with and interviewing me about here is a, a big coming out party for Nick Loeb about to do some exciting new stuff in the industry, if that makes sense. And uh, yeah. in kind of the best way, which is just doing what I do best, which is running a game. I bring everything I know to bear on creating a great experience around the table. Yeah. You know, can you talk a little bit about how you got to become this, you know, world-renowned thespian and oh. fight director? I mean, that's something yeah. that I think a lot of people would think, hey, you know, I'm I'm a theater geek. I want to be more macho and, and do yeah. all the fight stuff, too. How do you get yeah. into that kind of thing? Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, like, uh, so uh, my theater background is really interesting. I, I My first theater training, I tell everybody this, John, and I want every – I want every gamer geek and nerd listening to this, just like me, right, to hear these words. My first actor training was playing Dungeons and Dragons for like mm. 20 hours a week from the mm -hmm. age of eight until like the age of 16, if that makes sense. Right. I played yeah. so much D&D &D and Shadowrun and uh, Marvel superheroes, all, all the old classics, Rifts and like the Palladium universe. Yeah. There really wasn't a game I didn't play growing up in like the 80s and the early 90s. Um and uh, I, I didn't really realize that, like, you could get paid to do that. Like, you could be an actor and, like, you could pretend to be other people uh, and, and on stage and on screen. And actually, like, that was like a real career, right? I was like just a young kid who loved my games. And so when I was, um, you know, I think I was 13 or 14 years old, my grandmother was staying with us at our house. Uh, she was getting some treatment for cancer at the time at Roswell Park. It's a big cancer treatment center up in Buffalo, New York. I grew up in Buffalo and, uh, you know, um, she was staying with us and I was a weird little kid and I would walk home from school every day and I would watch the exact same movie every day after school, which was legend with, uh, with Tom Cruise and Mia Sara, yeah. Right. Yeah. And my poor grandmother was subjected to this movie like four days in a row, I think. And then finally on the fifth day I came home and I like reached for the VHS to put it in the VCR and she said, <laughs> no. She said, please, like, just you can do anything you want, but you can't watch that movie. I can't sit here while you watch that movie again. You've watched it every day. And I was like, OK, Grandma. And I, I don't remember this, but apparently I went in the corner of the room and I acted out the entire movie for myself. Like I did all the voices. I got most of the lines right, apparently. <laughs> like, everything, you know, I just acted all the characters in the movie. And my parents got home that night and my grandma said, you got to get him in an acting class. He's a lunatic. You got <laughs> nice. to channel this towards yeah. some sort of yeah. positive construction. And yeah. so, yeah, there was a great um, equity theater, a union theater venue uh, in downtown Buffalo at that time called Studio Arena Theater. And they had a great theater school attached to it. And that place changed my life. My, my folks put me in like uh, an after school program there. And I went there and I trained as like a young actor. And sure enough, I did. I booked a bunch of commercials and small gigs and roles and then eventually was cast in their season um, in a couple of equity shows and earned my union card as a stage actor. And that was that was it. I was off and running with an acting career for a few years there as a young man. Um, I, I acted off Broadway in New York for a while, did a bunch of shows in Buffalo at the various venues, did a bunch of touring shows in the tri-state area. Um, mm -hmm. And that got me started. And then what happened was was interesting was some of the shows I was in, John, this is how we, this is how we get to fight and fight stuff and stage combat choreography. You know, I was a big martial artist growing up. I loved Kung Fu and I had done a bunch of Kung Fu from an early age. And it was a big part of my life. I deeply enjoyed it. And so um, 
you know, I was in a couple of shows where they had fights. The One of the most seminal ones, I was in an early production of Romeo and Juliet when I think I was like 17 or 18. I was a young guy. And I remember this, the, the actor they had playing Samson, who's one of the characters in the beginning that has that fight scene. Like, you know, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? Mm-hmm. I do bite my thumb, sir. Right. Like that whole scene erupts into a big fight, usually in most productions of that show. Right. And so the, the actor playing Samson was blessed. He was a wonderful actor, but he couldn't move well. And so he mm-hmm. was like a dangerous sword fighter and he was like almost hurting himself and others in the sword fighting. And so the, the fight director at the time asked us, the rest of the cast, I was just a background actor. I was a union actor, but just sort of like a background Capulet or something. Mm-hmm. And he asked us if anyone had any you know, combat training and none of us did. And he asked if anyone had any martial arts training. And I said, yeah, I've been doing Kung Fu since I was eight years old. And he said, great, you're Samson now, right? And I got <laughs> huge promotion on the show. Yeah. So I went from kind of getting paid, I think it was like six or 700 a week because it was a union yeah. gig, suddenly to getting paid like 12 or 1300 a week, uh, something around there. I don't really remember. But then uh, he, I, I did great with the fight stuff. And then he had to pick a fight captain, John, someone who, when he left, would look after the, the fights for the rest of the run of the production. And mm-hmm. so he picked me. And suddenly I went from making twelve, thirteen hundred a week to making almost two thousand dollars a week as like a seventeen year old kid. Like I don't think wow. I make that now. Right. Yeah. Like I think that was yeah. one of the best paid periods of my yeah. life. And so something, you know, I wasn't a smart kid, but something clicked, like, oh, okay, like I should do more of this. Like yeah. this is a skill that's in demand sometimes. And it may may help you get a better paid role on a gig. And so uh, I did a lot more martial arts, and then I was very lucky years later to find my perfect mentor for stage combat, a wonderful man named Gregory Hoffman, uh, who is the founder and master instructor of an organization called Dueling Arts International. Mm -hmm. And they are one of the coolest organizations I've ever been a part of. They basically just hold these workshops all over the world, and they train actors to make sure that the actors know their way around fisticuffs. Rapier fighting, broadsword fighting, rapier and dagger, small sword, quarterstaff, rapier cloak, you name it, sword and shield, everything, right? And they certify people to do this. They recognize them as safe and dramatic fighters that you could put in your shows. Hmm. Um, And I started off just uh, training as a fighter with Gregory Hoffman and his organization. And now many, many years later, I'm a senior instructor and fight director for them, right? So I had a whole pathway of working with them. And that took me uh, all over the world as an educator, as someone who trained people to do this, but also as a fight director, right? I went all over the world to direct fights for stage plays. Um, and it was a great, great, great thing to do. Still one of my favorite things to do for money. I have a full-time job now as a, as a professor and the education coordinator of this new conservatory that I founded with some other folks. Uh, but I, every chance I get to slip away for a few weeks, especially in the summers when I'm not on the right. docket here, right? Yeah. So that's the great thing about being faculty. Yeah. Um, I, I'll slip away and I'll choreograph a production in South Korea or in New Orleans or in New York or somewhere that where someone I know needs a fight director. I'll come and do my work. And man, it's, a, it's great to just travel around with swords and teach people how to fight. That's one of the most fun things I get to do. Yeah. Wow. And, and you must have a collection of swords too, training swords and Maybe real swords too? Not even one. No. <laughs> I don't own a single sword. And you know why? So I'm like a closet Buddhist. So I'll share this okay. with everybody. I don't, many All people right. don't know this about me. I really yeah. don't own much, right? Yeah. So I have purchased probably $100,000 worth of swords in my time. 
but I've always purchased them for the institutions I'm teaching at and they oh, keep them. Okay. Right. So like I, I actually don't personally own a single sword. Um, wow. I, I don't even have one. But of course, we have a, a robust armory here at the conservatory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, it's not as robust as I'd like. We're just starting out. In fact, the fundraiser we're doing that you and I will talk about soon. One of the things we'll be fundraising for is to purchase more and better blades for the students to use. And right. depending on what level you back that fundraiser, you might get to name one of those swords. Yeah. For oh, all time. oh, well. Now we gotta we gotta get jumped we gotta jump into that right now right now so, yeah, that's exciting, so next right? week next week uh, April second right yeah yeah April second Sunday April second a live streaming of an adventure to benefit the Hawaii Conservatory of Performing Arts at yeah. Windward Community College can you tell us more about both the conservatory what you're raising yeah. money for and then this kind of cool live streaming thing that you're doing. Absolutely. So the conservatory is great, right? So I've spent a lot of time on this island, first as a graduate student, and I met my wife in grad school uh, here mm -hmm. on the island. She's a local girl, and one of the, she's just a fabulous director. Mm -hmm. and, was, and when I met her, she was had already been directing for a while on the island, but hadn't had the robust career she's had since then of directing in New York and London, and like she's a well-known stage director now. Um, but at that time, it was mind-blowing to me because I had been all over the world as an actor, and I had never met a director as good as her. And wow. there was no infrastructure on the island. That's, that's, that's why I, I married her, right? I slept my way to yeah. the top of the of, – that's, that's what we learned <laughs> in the acting industry, right? She was the best yeah. director on the island, yeah. so I, I tried to work yeah. with her as much as possible, and we fell in love doing shows together, which was really fun. But – I was blown away because there, everywhere else I'd ever been, including like Buffalo, a little Rust Belt mm -hmm. town where I grew up, there were equity theater houses and there were training schools connected to them that you could go and you could get trained. And if you were good and you worked hard, you had a shot at getting roles or opportunities with those equity venues. And then bam, you had your union card and you were like, you knew some people and you could like move to New York or LA or Chicago or Seattle or any kind of nice theater town. And you could start working as a professional. That doesn't exist here, John. It never has. And it is this, this place is heavily colonized, as you probably know from right. growing up here, right? And colonialism is very, very close in the rearview mirror. So when I was looking at taking this job at Wimmer Community College to run their theater program, my wife and I were living in London at the time, and she was directing in London. And she was like, please, I don't want to go back to the islands. There's no opportunities to do any of the work we do there at all. And I said, We'll build those opportunities, not just for you and me. In fact, not even for you and me. We have a career. We're going to build mm -hmm. them for future use, for people who should have the opportunity to do this and have mm -hmm. never, ever, ever had, had access to the infrastructure you need to have access to in order to get the training you need, but also the opportunities you need, right, um, and the networking to Right. Take your work further than just a hobby or like, hey, I'm a really good community actor, but I, I don't have any idea how to get an agent or get in front of a mm -hmm. casting director or really start my career because it just doesn't exist here for me. Right. So that was my mission in life when we moved back here. We moved back here 12 years ago and we I knew it would take about 10 years 
to do it, right? Because to build an institution from the ground up is nigh impossible, especially in like a state funded university system, right? The, right. the gears of academia grind slowly, as we say, right? Well, so especially in Hawaii, right? Because they, they've been really tight for their budgets at their uh, state universities for a while. Yes, they have. And the pandemic uh, has, has exacerbated that drastically. Mm. So that put us back. Mm. We were actually going to be launching in 2020, hilariously, with the conservatory. Oh, wow. But instead, yeah, yeah. we weren't able to launch until 2022 because the pandemic put things on hold. But right, man, it's right. going great. Like within the first year of us launching the conservatory, mm-hmm. we were recognized by the Kennedy Center with their highest award in theater education, the Kennedy Center Gold Medallion, which wow. we just received uh, last month in February wow. uh, at their big regional festival in Las Vegas. They invited our, our production, Demigods Anonymous, an original production written by mm-hmm. one of our alumni, Noah Halela. And uh, we took that production. We took 18 students to Las Vegas. We, I managed to, just by the skin of my teeth, raise the money to do it. <laughs> yeah. And those kids had the experience of a lifetime, and they won this massive award. And that goes wow. on their resumes, and they met yeah. all these people and all these connections there. And that's the kind of work we do, but it's wildly expensive work because there's mm-hmm. no institutional funding to support any of it, especially in this post-pandemic budget-tightening, belt-tightening environment. So. I swore a long time ago, John, that I would never, ever, ever dungeon master for cash, that it was something I loved too much. (laughs) That makes sense. Like it's something that I loved too much to ever do it like on camera for money. I've run big celebrity events for free at PaizoCon and Gen Con and things like that, where there's like hundreds of people watching, but I've never, ever once that I'll do this to raise to like for myself. But Man, to raise money for this conservatory and our amazing students, I would do anything. I would sell a limb to help these kids. They're such great kids and they work so hard and we want them to have these opportunities. So welcome to the Red Raven. The Red Raven is born. Yeah. So the Red Raven is a Nick Logue joint, an original Nick Logue adventure of which there hasn't been one in years. And I've spent a Mm -hmm. lot of time master crafting this now uh, that we're going to run with an incredible cavalcade of celebrity guest players. We're talking about super exciting people like Earl Kim, who played Norio in Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. Like the, mm-hmm. the incredibly popular game that came out a couple years ago uh, from, you know, Sony uh, for PlayStation, right? PlayStation exclusive, literally the best game I've ever played. And he played one of the ch- chief roles in it. Um, and of course, he's been on tons of television shows and in films as well. And he's done a lot of voice acting on top of that. He's got a killer resume. He's like a real working professional in Los Angeles. And he loves tabletop. He's been playing tabletop since he was a kid. And I, I'm just lucky enough to know him. I met him through some mutual friends because he also is a dueling arts uh, fighter, if that makes sense. Uh, right. And yeah. so he said, yeah, man, I'd love to come out, play some games with you and raise some money for, for your conservatory and for, for kids. And then, man, I've got this wonderful guy, Brent Mukai. And if you've watched any anime in English, you've heard his voice. Like he's one of the most popular voiceover actors for anime. And also mm-hmm. mo- like he's been in tons of video games like Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, I mean, like tons and tons of stuff. He's got a killer resume as well. And so he's coming out to play with us. We also have a local improv comedy genius named Jose Vare, who's super well-known local actor. He's on all the local TV shows we film out here, like Magnum P.I., NCIS, those shows. Mm-hmm. But he's also got a huge following in the theater community here as an improv artist. He's playing and one of my dearest friends, 
Christina Ueno, uh, who's helping me produce the whole event. Uh, she's also an incredible artist from these islands like Jose and Brent. So Earl's awesome. He's coming to pitch in. He's not from here, but he was like, I want to be a part of this. I've got a killer resume and I do a lot of work. Let me let me come in and play with you all. Uh, so we've got a great team. And the coolest thing about it is they're playing with our students. So it's going to be them playing with three of our students for this adventure. And so what a great opportunity for our kids to play with these celebrity guests and yeah. for our celebrities to get to mentor these young upcoming adventurers. And that's all tied into the theme of the game. So the theme of the game, it takes place in this, you know, dark, you know, grim, dark sort of ancient city called Rookspire. And Rookspire is like a city with shadows and cobwebs, and it was ruled by devils for years and years. And even after it was liberated, it was it ever, are you ever really free from the taint of the infernal, right? Once they've conquered your mm -hmm. city, right? And so um, there's all these problems in the city of Rookspire, and they have a masked vigilante, very sort of Batman meets Zorro-esque NPC, who is known as the Red Raven. And as far back as anyone can remember, there's been a Red Raven in the city. He probably passes the mantle or the right, mask right, right. and cowl and gauntlet on, right, to, to other generations. But he's vanished. And now the city is tearing itself apart. And so these young heroes played by our students are rising up to try to, to do something, right, as the city is being ripped to pieces. I may have played a lot of Gotham Knights, you know, as I was like <laughs> conceiving of this adventure, right? Yeah. Um, but they can't do it alone. They're low level. Like there's like fifth level PCs like against a city yeah. full of like, you know, evil masterminds and madmen and women, right? And like yeah. de devils and darkness, right? And so uh, they're, they're coming out to do the best they can. And a whole bunch of the Red Raven's former adventuring companions who have been like out of the picture for decades are like have heard the Red Raven is missing and they're like reappearing in the streets of Rookspire to try to find him, find out what happened to him. And so these ancient sort of veterans who are well past their prime, but are like 13th, 14th level experience, you know, yeah. heroes join forces with these fifth level you know, up and coming, you know, rising vigilantes. And they are the ones who are going to be trying to make a difference in Rookspire while you watch from the comfort of your home with whatever snacks you want. And the best thing about it is you can donate to affect the action, right? So you can donate from home oh, yeah. and you can like affect how the story goes. There's two factions you can pick to join when you donate with us. And they're at odds in the city. One is the Cabal of the Crimson Flame, which is really interesting. Because the city was ruled by devils for, for decades, John, mm -hmm. there are all these tiefling now who live in the city, like a large right. population. To put it nicely, the devils interbred freely with the populace is a, is a nice mm -hmm. way to put it while they were in masters of Rookspire. And so there are all these tieflings. And the tieflings, of course, are horribly persecuted by the rest of the city because mm – -hmm. They share the, the the visage and the heritage of right. the former devil masters, though, of course, these tieflings alignment has nothing to do with their ancestry. Right. Like many of them mm -hmm. are good people. And it doesn't matter, though, because they're spit upon by the others who fought to free themselves from the devil, from the infernal overlords. And so there's now an organization called the Cabal of the Crimson Flame, mostly tiefling, but they have other members. And they are trying to fight for the rights of these downtrodden people, right? The people who are basically indentured servants to these big elvish and human and dwarven noble houses that rule the city. Mm -hmm. um, and they're trying, they're like anarchists or freedom fighters, right? Or, or 
terrorists is what they're called by their opponents, right? Right. Who are trying to upset the status quo and like free all the workers who are dying in the foundries, you know, in these hazardous conditions of work and like fight for the poor, like feral street kids who have no family, who are basically just beaten to death by the rooks. The rooks are like the, like the local constabulary, but they're bought mm-hmm. and paid for by the noble houses in Rookspire. They're not really like mm-hmm. Are what, what we think of police police officers as, as a, upholding a duty. They just do whatever the noble houses tell them to do. And so this cabal of the Crimson Flame has risen to fight evil in the city. But of course, it's a complicated organization. There's bad people in it too. They more represent chaos than anything else, right? They're trying to up, upend the status quo. Then you've got the Cerulean Circle. And they are like the lawful we must work within the institutions and repair them mm-hmm. from within if we are to fight evil. Uh, we cannot tear down the city. That has happened in the past of Rookspire. And the innocent have suffered even more than the malefactors when we have done so kind of thing. So you watching at home get to pick which side you're on. Are you this lawful sort of aristocratic Cerulean Circle member who wants to fight evil but has to do it within the confines of the institutions? Or are you, let's tear it and burn it all down, member of the Cabal of the Crimson Flame? Either way, you get to donate. And what's kind of fun is the Cabal of the Crimson Flame donates to our scholarship fund. That's like the youth are going to take over kind of like theme, if that makes sense. We're going to give the money to the kids and then they can take it from here. And then the Cerulean Circle, you're donating to our conservatory fund, and that pays for us to bring in guest artists, to take the kids to festivals, to stage productions. It pays for a lot of things the institutions can't pay for in the right. in the in Hawaii. So you literally are like joining the institution of the University of Hawaii from within and helping provide things that the institution should really provide but can't because of so many deep budget cuts related to tourism. And the pandemic right. for us. Yeah, it's a rough time in the islands for, for our institution. So you get to pick one and then you can donate and bam, exciting things happen. Yeah, you, you, you can uh, give, you know, characters advantage on roles. You can provide healing potions, magical effects. If you donate high enough wishes, but also there's cool rewards related to our conservatory. Like if you donate at the Blade Master level. We're buying new broadswords and rapiers, right, to, yeah. to enhance our armory. And one of the rewards for that, there's many rewards for every level. They're exciting. One of the rewards is you get to name one of our new blades, christen it with whatever name you like, and we'll engrave it on that blade. And then every time we pull it out to train with it or put it in a production, we'll think of you and the name that you put upon it, if that makes sense. That's, that's, I, if I did that, I'd have to go visit to see it and get a picture with it, too, though. Oh, we'll send pictures for sure. But you should come out and yeah. hold it for yeah. sure, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Make yeah. it out, hold your blade. Yeah, so yeah, it's pretty exciting. No. Yeah, that's cool. So, really where fun. is this production going to be shown? How do how do people find it? Yeah. So it's going to stream on Twitch and YouTube. And the easiest way to find it is to head to our crowdfunding page because we're posting the links up there tomorrow for how to get to the stream. And you don't have to donate to watch the stream. Uh, You can just watch the stream by going to the page and clicking it there. Uh, But we sure hope that if you enjoy what you're seeing, that you'll think about throwing some gold GP or SP at us or even CP. We'll take it all. Right. We'll take the copper piece, whatever. It's all, you know, every little bit helps. And then that helps us make sure that if we get enough gifts with this uh, and it's a participation campaign, not a money goal campaign. So we're really right. interested in having a lot of people pitch in, even if it's just for a tiny amount of money, right? We just want right. people to be a part of what we do. Um, and if we have enough participation, I will make this a regular thing. So we'll do this every couple of weeks. We'll add another installment of 
Wow. The, the, this this adventure is called the Red Raven, but yeah. the, the overarching sort of idea is called mysterious benefactors. Yeah, you serve as these mm -hmm. mysterious benefactors as part of these secret societies helping out these mm -hmm. heroes. Mm -hmm. And so if we get enough participation, I'll I'll keep this rolling and bring in more celebrities and we'll play like every two weeks or every month during school hours. Like over the summers, I'm often traveling for work and it'll be yeah. harder to do. But like from, you know, uh, from next fall on, if we get enough participation starting in the fall, we'll do a whole season of Mysterious Benefactors. And people who donate will get behind the scenes peeks at what we're up to. Yeah. Not to mention if you donate at the shadowy ally level or higher, you get access to a new website we're setting up that's kind of like a Cobalt Press's old, very exciting open design hmm, where okay. you get access to like all the material from the adventure that I'm running. So if you mm -hmm. like what Rookspire, you think it's a really interesting setting or you just thought the adventure was really, really, really exciting and you want to run it for your friends at home. I, I'm going to be posting all the information you need to do that on this website. And some of it will be public. But if you post at the shadowy or if you donate at the shadowy ally level or higher, uh, you get to log in and you get access to much more chunky information, if that makes sense. And you get to influence that information for further installments. So if you want to be a part of the design process, you can. So yeah. where specifically should people go then? Yeah, they should go to the crowdfunding page um, and I will read out the URL for you right now. How's that sound? Okay. All right. Uh, so the, and I will post URL. it when I post these as well. Oh, hey, that's so great. So the URL for the crowdfunding campaign is Hui, right? So Hui means group uh, in Hawaiian, right? And so it's hui.uhfoundation.org backslash G backslash Red Raven, right? And okay. Red and Raven are capitalized. I, I don't know if it's cap sensitive or not. I'll, I'll try out in a second and find out. So that's where you head. And um, we can post that link up here. That's fantastic. And from mm -hmm. there, you can pick your faction and donate ahead of time if you're interested. And then on top of that, uh, we'll be posting the links for the Twitch and the YouTube uh, either tomorrow or Wednesday so that anyone can just go take a look, if that makes sense, John, and and kind of follow along the action. If you happen to be a local and you're watching John's Wonderful or listening <laughs> to John's Wonderful podcast, the cool thing is, is from 9 a.m. Hawaii Standard Time, John, it's streaming and it will continue to stream through the end of the event. But um, at the at 1 p.m. Hawaii Standard Time, we have a live audience coming. Yeah. So people oh, want wow. tickets. To yeah, attend. Yeah. So we're still streaming, but we'll have a live audience there as well to watch the action firsthand. And we'll have a reception afterwards uh, for people who buy the $100 tickets or higher. It's like a gala event, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then they get to meet the celebrities, maybe play a game with them. Yeah, because we have some private games running that they'll jump in on. And if you're mm -hmm. a $100 ticket or higher backer, you can join those private games and play with Earl Kim and me and Brent Mukai and other exciting folks like Jose Bear and Tina Ueno and our students. Um, by the way, some of our students playing are already like movie stars, right? Like uh, one mm -hmm. of our students playing is Student Featherin, and he just did a movie opposite Jason Scott Lee called The Wind wow. and the Reckoning. It's an incredible movie, right? And we have another student who's playing, he's an alumni of ours named Brandon DePaula, and he graduated top of his class from East 15 Acting School's very competitive stage combat and acting program. So we have some our students are amazing, but let me be clear. They're just not as established as uh, as these most right. wonderful celebrities who are coming in and donating their time to do this work with them, which we're so psyched about. Yeah. So no, you get to be a part of it. You can pick your faction and you can donate. And we even have a match going on right now, which is really mm -hmm. cool. So we have a $5,000 match happening. We just started it today. And uh, anyone who donates uh, before the 5000 is used up to match it 
you have your reward doubled as well. So your donation goes twice as far, right? You double the impact on our students. But on top of that, if you back it for $50, we'll give you the $100 reward, meaning that's the shadowy ally open design oh, reward. Right, right. So you have bigger impact if you donate sooner. <laughs> Boom. If you donate now, we're yeah, trying to get yeah. early donations, right? So that way, yeah, like, we yeah, know yeah. we have, like, some good momentum going into the day of the mm-hmm. event. So we've got a match going on right now. I think we've burned up about 1,500 of it at present, like right now when I'm talking to you, but there's still $3,500 left on the match. And if you throw in 50 bucks to become a boon companion, which that's the, every level, $25 is a familiar, $50 is a boon companion, $100 is a shadowy ally, right? And it goes up from there. 200 is an alchemist, 500 is an enchanter, and 750 is bladesmaster. I backed a bladesmaster, but I might take advantage of the match because yeah. Blades Master is seven hundred and fifty bucks. So if I throw in another five hundred, that gets me to, you know, twelve fifty, one thousand two hundred fifty. And with my friend Tony's match, he's our founding uh, donor, right? With mm-hmm. his match, I get to go twenty five hundred level, which is Arch Archmage Ascendant. And mm-hmm. all I want to be is an Archmage Ascendant, if that makes sense, John. <laughs> so I think I'm going to redonate to my own fundraiser to make yeah. use of the match as well, because it's exciting the rewards at that level. So yeah. Anyone should come check out that site, that hui.uhfoundation.org backslash R backslash capital R red capital R Raven. Um, and then you can uh, go ahead and pick a pick a, a faction, donate. And if you donate soon, you're, you're going to get matched by Tony's money and you get extra exciting rewards and your donation goes twice as far for our students. So thank you for thinking awesome. about doing that. Yeah. And the actual streaming is going to start what time on Sunday? So the stream goes live 9 a.m. Hawaii Standard Time. Um, okay, so Which is noon in Seattle and 3 p.m. in New York. Indeed. Yeah. So, and, and that's why we decided to start so early. We decided to start nice and early. Uh, and then that way, all of our friends on the continent. And also, we have a lot of friends and fans and former students in England, me and my wife, Tari. And a lot of mm-hmm. them have donated and want to watch the stream. Uh, so we, we're making sure that they can watch it in the evening. Right. So not 8 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, then. So indeed, yeah. So Great. they can catch yeah. it at eight PM, watch it for a few hours before they have to hit the hay if they need to hit the hay, right? So that's kind of why we decided those hours. And so nine AM it starts. We stream until noon. We take a break at noon so that the celebrities can have lunch, and our players can have lunch, and then we're back on at one PM Hawaii Standard Time, and that's uh, when we have the live audience joining us at Polyku Theater here on our beautiful Windward Community College campus, right in the shadow of the Ko'olau range. When, when, you know, when the characters in Tolkien sing of, you know, um, far o'er the misty mountains cold, right? Like I think about that every time. They're not cold, of course, because we're in Hawaii, but boy, are they misty, right? We're on the windward side, the rainy side. And I often have breakfast right out back of our beautiful theater. And there are these giant Ko'olau mountain range and they're shrouded in mist. And it's, I, I can't help but think of everything we love and do as nerd gamers when I have my breakfast out there every morning, John. No, that this uh, this is awesome. Um, I actually yeah. can't wait till we're done uh, doing this because I want to go check out the <laughs> check out the campaign. Yeah, um, come check it out, so, man. For so sure. That, so that'll be a lot of fun. We're gonna finish the interview here. So yeah, uh, you can throw in a platinum piece and get some cool rewards. Yeah, for yeah, sure. No, Thank no, you for this, doing that, John. I appreciate that. That's this awesome. sounds this sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah. a couple questions I always ask people is uh, what advice do you have people interested in getting into game design? But I'll also ask if they're interested in getting into stage acting or stage combat. 
Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll tackle them one by one. How's that sound? I'm going to go in reverse order if that's okay. So I'll start with acting and stage combat and then head towards game design after, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I think the best thing you can do um, is, is, is get great training. Right. Hmm, Unfortunately, yeah. I think, uh, you know, th- that's something that that's really uh, embedded and ingrained in artists in Europe. Uh, you know, we worked in England for four years uh, at, at this at a, one of the top conservatories in the UK, East 15 Acting School. Both my wife and I worked there for four years before we came back to the islands 12 years ago. And they take the training very seriously there. And that's why when you watch a lot of our big blockbuster movies, the biggest names are all Brits or Australians, right, Mm -hmm. or something. It's Mm -hmm. because that's where they get the hardcore training to really bring roles to life. And I would say that our um, industry in America is a bit different, right? It's very, like, image-focused. And, like, if you have a good look, you, you might get some opportunities. But we always tell our students, and it's true, you might get an opportunity early on because you're a very attractive human who looks really interesting on screen. But if you suck, like if you haven't trained and you're not a very, like, skillful performer, you haven't bothered to really work yourself hard to understand how you get out of yourself and create something truly interesting and innovative on camera or on stage – you won't have many opportunities, right? You might get a couple of opportunities early on, but you'll crap out pretty quick because if you get a chunky role, you just won't be able to stand up to it. You'll just, you'll look like a fool, right? In that, in that scenario. So I would say find the best academies, conservatories, and, uh, you know, university or community college programs that offer really exciting training and make sure that training is practical. And make sure, you know, that it's not theory based, but you're actually working by doing and, and things. And also be sure that the people offering you that training have done the work themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, in academia, right, we have lovely teachers who know a lot. They're scholars, but they may have never acted on stage, but they end up teaching mm-hmm. acting classes because like that's what's on the schedule and they're they're assigned right. to it. And that's hugely problematic in my mind. It's something that you would never see happen at a conservatory where the point is Mm -hmm. practical training, but it does happen in a lot of programs. So get to know your teacher's pedigree. Um, That's a big thing that I always recommend. Like, do they actually work or did they used to work and now they're educators? And what, what level did they work and what can they pass on to you as far as professionalism and actual craft and the use of that craft in real productions, right? So that's one of the most important, um, tips and pieces of advice I can give you. You got to do the work. Find out as quickly as you can if like the university program or conservatory program or academy program you're applying to uses their current students in their productions because many don't. Yeah, many programs like just bring in their friends or community actors or pros or alumni because they want their shows to look really polished. While that's great, right? That's not the point of those shows. It's, it's educational theater. The point of the show is that the students learn by doing. So we're really proud. We cast our current students in every production we do here, right? And we do a couple of conservatory productions per year where we cast mainly alumni. But even then, we still cast current students. And we do at least two shows that are almost 100% current students. Even if we bring in alumni for those shows, we give them smaller roles. It's more about having them as a good influence on the mm-hmm. cast, if that makes sense, right? Not them taking the major roles away from our students, but them being there in the wings and the smaller parts to uplift everybody is the only way we use our non-current students um, in, our, in our main student production. So find that out. Find out if, you're, if the program you're thinking about going to even cares or you, does that. And don't just, don't base it on their reputation alone. Find out the actual nitty grit of what they offer and how they offer it, right? And if they don't, 
They can't give you specific answers about whether they cast current students in their shows. If it's audition based and the auditions are open to anybody, don't go there. Does that make sense? Because they're, they're, if the auditions are open to any community member, you're going to be competing with every great actor in that city for the roles right. that you're paying to produce. Does that make sense? Your tuition's mm-hmm. paying for that show, but you're going to have to compete mm-hmm. with all the actors in the city for a role in it. And that's not right in my mind and not fair. It doesn't happen at conservatory, right? At conservatory, you're paying for the privilege of doing that work. And so you should get to do that work. So that's a big one for me, man, for, for stage combat, I cannot recommend more heartily dueling arts international. They've been a huge part of my life and have, have gotten me to the place where I know that when I'm in a room, everyone's safe and I can make the fights look awesome. And that's because of years of training with them. And, and, uh, the guy who runs the organization, you know, maestro Gregory Hoffman is one of the most lovely human beings I've ever met. He's a real sort of sage mentor who cares deeply about every single student in the room and has infinite patience, even when he's under the time constraints of professional grade work, right? He seems mm-hmm. to somehow get it all done and taught and properly, you know, set, but without ever having to make it feel like it's under that pressure. He's just a really lovely human being and an absolute master. He can watch a piece of chore- a piece of choreography once that's like 30 moves long. And then afterwards over lunch, he'll say, you know, there's a mistake on move 16 in phrase three of that choreography that's messing up the rest of the fight for you. <laughs> and I'm, you're like, what? <laughs> like you, wow. you just watched that once. Like yeah. he's really like, he's done this his whole life and he's a true master of it. So yeah, if you have, they, they have workshops all over the country. I would just Google Dueling Arts International and take a look at their website, find a workshop near you and sign up. They have a bunch this summer all over. I think there's one in Colorado. There's one in Missouri. Uh, I think there's, there might be, there's others as well. I can't remember where they are. I'm, I have to catch up with, with my involvement with them over the summer. I think I'm teaching at one of them, so I better find out where they are. Um, <laughs> so I know where I'm going, but yeah, I can't recommend them enough. You should really, really go and train with Gregory Hoffman and his entire cadre of amazing teachers. He very carefully selects his teachers and trains them very carefully to be lovely people who are wonderful at what they do. And the president of that organization, Joanne Mendelson is a, a lovely human being and a fabulous teacher as well. And she usually teaches at many of the workshops as well. She's come out and worked with us in Hawaii and did a great job for our students too. So yeah, find great people and make sure that they're going to give you real experiences. Practical experiences is my best advice uh, for you. And, um, you know, don't, don't hope you'll figure it out. You know, don't rely on your looks or something to get you ahead. You know, make sure you're ready for the opportunities as they arrive by doing the training that makes sense. So yeah, that's my advice for that. And I think it, it applies in a similar fashion, John, to, um, to game design stuff. I was really lucky. Like, I don't know how I trained to be a game designer, except for the fact that I got to work with James Jacobs on my very first projects. Like, you know, I think he took over as editor, um, of dungeon magazine right after my first adventure was published. So I submitted them to the editor before him and I'm blanking on who that is. I, I want, I, I want to say it was Chris Thomason, but I'm not 100% sure that's true. Uh, I have to, I'd have to like look back at the issues to tell you. But uh, he, he, I submitted three adventures. Two were, were, were published right away. Um, my, the first one was great. It was just a little short adventure called Cry Wolf. 
And to this day, it's a wonderful first level introductory adventure that's good for the whole family, right? Like it's it's literally just about this wolf that people think are preying on this town. But the wolf is just the animal companion of a nice ranger who's been trapped by some poachers uh, and is being is like in danger of being killed. And yeah. so the wolf's doing its best to get help. It's like a lassie go get help yeah, yeah, scenario. Yeah. But it's this big giant animal companion wolf. And so people are terrified of it, right? And so it's a fun little you investigate a little bit, you kind of find out people don't really know what this wolf is or saying it's a vicious thing, but it hasn't actually attacked anybody except to like nip at them and try to pull them into the woods. Right. You know what I mean? To get help. And so then you end up confronting the poachers and saving the ranger at the end and like making a making a mentor friend of like a third level ranger who owes you one and like mm -hmm. a friend for life from his wolf, if that makes sense, for, for saving yeah. his, ma his friend and master, if that makes sense. So that got published right away. But uh, and one other did, too. I'm blanking on what it was. But it was a shorter adventure as well. But there was a huge adventure I wrote that I think when the, when the editor ahead of James left ended up back in the slush pile. Never, maybe never to be seen again, right? Just buried in the slush pile. And I had kind of like gone, oh, you know, maybe I'll keep doing this if I hear from them. I'll put together some proposals. And then sure enough, I moved to Hawaii for grad school and I got an email out of the blue from James Jacobs. And and it was like, hey, man, uh, we, we found The Winding Way, this amazing adventure about this, like this monk in this monastery, like up in the mountains um, and that has, that has in, invented his own style of battle and stuff and he's teaching his disciples and it's a horror adventure like horrible things happen to this monk that like turn the whole monastery into like a nightmare scape basically and so you end up there through whatever adventure hooks are included in that adventure and you like not only have to face him and all of his disciples who have become these terrifying things but he actually awaits you at the end of his final test for his master students which is like a series of traps that are very much like to test a master monk, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's almost like end of Indiana Jones and the last crusade, but as a like test your skills as a master monk before you can even reach him to battle him, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And James loved that adventure. And he said, man, this is great. And he said, uh, can you, can you make some changes? Like, we, we actually don't, we have way too many low level submissions. I think it was like a fifth level adventure or sixth level adventure, John. And he said, can you make this like a 15th level adventure? And I went, wow. That's, I was like, that's a big, yeah, yeah, I was like, that's a big rewrite, especially for one that's like based in one location, right? Because like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think of high level adventures is like, you're casting teleport, like you're spanning the realm by that point, right? Like whenever I run mm -hmm. high level, it doesn't take place in one place. Like it's, right. it, it, you know, scene one is like on some windswept cliffs, you know, overlooking uh, an ocean full of like, you know, uh, merfolk, right? And then like scene two is in the heart of a volcano because like that's, you know, you're dealing with the ability to bend time and space to your adventurer's will at that point. So you right. better rise to that occasion as a game master yeah. and give them wow. opportunities yeah. to do it, right? And so I said, oh yeah, that's a really challenging rewrite, but a fun challenge. And yeah, what a yeah. lovely guy. So I rewrote the whole thing. Yeah, I rewrote, I had to start from scratch, but I had the location still, but I had to expand on them and do lots of different stuff. And I rewrote the mm -hmm. whole thing. And here's a great lesson for those game designers starting at home, John. Do we have some time? I'm not using up all your time, am I? No, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Wonderful. So, you know, I rewrote the whole thing on like a crappy computer I had at the time. <laughs> yeah, and okay. uh, I wrote it up and the computer died and ate the whole thing. And like the deadline was a few days later. And I was faced with the option of telling James I couldn't complete it, which I didn't even tell him about this, right? Or just sitting down and just rewriting the whole thing in one day from memory, right? Wow. And thankfully, I had a similar experience in college uh, 
And uh, I, I had, had to write this big final paper to graduate as an honors grad, a summa cum laude from my undergrad. And I wrote the paper and the, something happened with the computer. Again, this isn't now. We didn't have the cloud and like easily backups, and so, right? Like right. this was in the, in the 90s, early 90s. And my, my paper went away and I like, I was like, still a young guy. And I was like, I, I can't rewrite this paper. Like I'm done. I guess I'm just not going to graduate honors. You know what I mean? And my mom was like, are you kidding me? And like, she like <laughs> took me to task and yeah. made me sit and just rewrite the whole paper in like six hours. Right. And I can't thank her enough. My mom's been one of the biggest influences in my mom and my dad, big influences in my life, taught me a lot of life lessons. And that was a huge one. You know, she said, you cannot shirk from your responsibility just because it got hard all of a sudden. You've got to mm. put your nose back to the grindstone and just redo that work. You know what I mean? And sure enough, I, I banged that paper out. I graduated with like a 3.9. I got summa cum laude status. That that led to all these grants to go to China for free. You know what I mean? I was a Fulbright scholar. I lived in China for mm. free for years, creating art and theater, like as an ambassador to China. It's like a, it's like a diplomatic you know, art, artistic representative to China couldn't have done that if my mom hadn't made me do that. And so sure, it was rough when I lost, it was like a 50,000 word adventure when I lost the right. whole thing. Right. Wow. It was rough to rewrite it in like a day and yeah. a half, but I did, I just rewrote the whole thing from memory in a day and a half and yeah. submitted it. And I don't think James even knew, uh, you know, I don't think I ever told him he might find out if he watches or listens to this. Hey, James. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a yeah. big thing. Uh, it was an exciting thing. It was fun. And then I was I was off and running after that. And James was a huge part. I, I, I to this day, I just saw him in January. I went to Seattle for work and uh, I made sure to uh, to hang out with him. Actually, I'm sorry, it was December. I made sure to, to get together with James and Eric Mona and Adam Daigle and a few other mm -hmm. of my friends up there who were a big part of me coming up in the industry. And I ran a game for them at Paizo headquarters. Right. I went to nice. Paizo. And I ran a Marvel superheroes game for them uh, for like four hours. That was an absolute. I think I heard about that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was on. Okay. I, they posted it yeah. on Facebook, and so did yeah. I. I think they're yeah. like, "Oh, it's a good game. Really, really fun game with a good group." And so, and and at the end of that night, I, I I took James by the hand with both my hands, and I thanked him for everything he did for me. And and he was a big mentor to me, not only as a game designer, as a human being. I learned a lot about being a good person from James Jacobs because he's an infallibly good human. Like everything comes right from his heart. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he has, he never has any other agenda. And there were projects I completely like pooped the bed. You know what I mean? Like with, and, uh, and he was in all of those situations, he picked up the slack and helped me and, and, and brought me back from the abyss a few times. Right. When like, I just life wow. stuff was happening and falling apart for me. And like, he helped me not only complete the work I had said I was going to do, but also just kind of help that by doing that and did it in such a loving way that I was able to pull myself out of the fire a couple of times. And I think about that every time one of my students has a colossal mess up instead of getting angry at them, you know, or frustrated mm -hmm. with them. I think about the times in my life that I've had things really not go my way. And I, I just get up down on their level and say, how can we help? You know, how can we help you with this? You're, you're struggling. What can we do to help you? And there's no judgment or punishment at all. We'll figure out this work when we have time to figure out this work. More importantly, I don't want you to feel this way anymore or to be hurt by this. And I, I got a lot of that from my dad, but I also got a lot of it from James Jacobs. He was a really lovely guy. So pick great mentors. Try to find someone who's up and coming in the industry and doing good work who seems like a decent human being and see if you can do some work for them. You know, like watch the Kickstarters. I always tell people, like I, I got some work in recent years just by like I was on Kickstarter shopping and yeah. I saw a Kickstarter that I liked. Fragged Empire. Great, yeah. great, 
interesting game. Great, great flavor and narrative and fluff, right? And I backed it because I was like, I don't, this game is cool, man. I'm going to back this game. And then on a whim, I just emailed uh, uh, the the uh, the creator of the game because it was his first Kickstarter. And he was just creating the game. Yeah. And I said, hey, do you need do you need a writer? Because I write, you know, and here's my resume. It's pretty exhaustive. <laughs> I've done like yeah. a ton of work yeah. for Wizards and Paizo and Cobalt, a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, here's my fee. Like, here's what I charge. And like, here's a writing sample. And uh, would, do you need anything? You know, and he emailed me back immediately, like a day later. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I need I need writers. Um, I, I've got this. This Kickstarter is going great. And I, I got to now write it all. <laughs> you know what I mean, so would yeah, you be interested yeah. in doing some setting building for me? I said, yeah, that's mostly what I do. Like, I'm known as like the anti stat block guy. Like, I don't I'm not mm -hmm. a crunch guy. really. <laughs> right? I'm all yeah. like you can imagine from my background, yeah. I'm all story yeah. and character. Yeah. Right. Like create wonderful PCs and NPCs and wonderful settings because I, my mind is rich and filled with Shakespeare's genius, you know, and like all of sort of like the greatest plays I've read and things are all in my mind. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he, he was like, I need setting material. And I said, man, I can write planets and I can write organizations and I can write NPCs till the cows come home for you. And so I did a bunch of writing on his core rule book which was really fun. And that was one of the only projects I've spent some time doing in the last several years because I've been so busy with the conservatory. So right, right. that's my advice. Find great people and, um, and apprentice them and, and know, you know, know that you're an apprentice. Like you don't need to be great at this at the start. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I definitely wasn't when I was writing for James Jacobs, I would send some really stellar pitches this way that he was like, this is cool. We want this. And I would send stuff that I thought was awesome. I was like, isn't this awesome? And he was like, no, this is awful. Like, it's like, we're not interested in this. Please don't send anything like this to us again. Wow. You know? Yeah. And so like, you know, and that's totally cool. Like, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're in the place they're in, in the industry for very good reasons. Right. Like they have been doing this for decades and uh, they, they know more about it than we'll ever know. And that's great and wonderful. And you should embrace that as an up and coming designer, not think I can do better or I, I've got better ideas. Like everyone has ideas, but how can you, how do you bring those ideas to life in a way that, that hundreds of thousands of people get to enjoy them? And they know that Eric Mona knows that. So does James Jacobs, uh, Jason Bullman, another wonderful human being, right? Who like, he's taught me so much about life and fun and all sorts of things and a good, how a good game is run. He's a great game master. I mean, I've played some, his, his games are outstanding. Um, and, uh, and on top of that, uh, man, he can work crunch clearly, right? Like he understands the mechanics of the game. And that's so find those people and mentors, whoever they might be. It doesn't have to be the same as me. Right. Find those folks and uh, and and team up. You know, what I mean, like be willing to be their their Robin or Nightwing or, you know, like whatever, whatever they need, a, a, you know, a, 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 a little cape crusading sidekick, you know, and learn as you go is a great way to do it. So, yeah. And, you know, now it's, it's a whole new world, John, there's classes in this now, right? Like mm -hmm. I teach a class in game design at my college. It's the, one of the most popular classes we refills every time I run it. I don't get to run it that often because I'm department chair, but I'm running yeah. it in the fall and it will absolutely fill to the brim. Oh right man, you know, that just kind of reminds me that I yeah. should offer up something like that. I think uh, you should. I yeah, think you're a professor. Yeah, and and the yeah, thing is, I totally my did. department wouldn't do that, but they don't offer anything like that at their, at our university at all, and mm -hmm. I think they'd be interested in doing something like that. Anyway, yeah, I I, I started of off doing it well to help you out. What I did was I started off doing it as an interdisciplinary studies class. Yeah, and right. then right uh, independently of me, a creative media program was built. 
And they were like, can we please, would you mind taking your, your game design class into our creative media program? Mm -hmm. We want it to be a creative media course because we, we hear great things about this class. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm not a video game designer, right? Like I, I'm a tabletop guy, right? And they were like, yeah, no, no, but it, it's, the, it's not that different. It, the coding is what makes it different, right? Like right, right, right. there's a lot of the same the narrative concept. building and structure and everything. It's Correct, right? So they were like, we, we still want it in our creative media degree. And I said, yeah, sure. Right. I'd, love, I'd love to offer it through there so we did that and uh and then yeah and and so that that class is great and there's classes like that all over the country now like some really mm -hmm. wonderful like some super high level people offer them much you know who are much more active in the industry now than i am right i'm just yeah. making a comeback right don't call it a comeback i've been here for years <laughs> yeah. i'm we literally just left. kind of making yeah. a, making a comeback <laughs> only because i really am desperate i desperately want to help raise some funds for our conservatory yeah. we've got a great program we're winning the gold medallion from the kennedy center our, our shows are getting invited all over the country and we want to be able to keep affording to offer those opportunities to our students and so i'm i'm very happy to like you know, put the gloves back on and get in the ring and like show people what I can do. And and I'll, I'll throw the challenge down. You think you're a better game master than me? Watch this feed, watch the Red Raven. And I don't know that you're going to think that anymore. Yes. Because <laughs> I run a, I run a slick game. I've just never done it for public consumption yet. Yeah. So let's see what happens. Come check it out. I think you'll really enjoy yourself. Everybody who's watching this or listening to this. Check out the game. You'll have a blast. You can ask. I've run games for everybody in the industry. They'll tell you it's a, it's a serious experience. Yeah. Nice. Well, well, Nicholas, this this sounds really awesome. You are by far one of the most interesting people I've had the oh, opportunity to well, talk nice to. And this sounds like an awesome, awesome live streaming show that that's going to be uh, worth the yeah. watch. And uh, I, for one, will uh, make sure I get a chance to take a look at it. And I Thank recommend you. other folks uh, do so as well. And yeah. just as a reminder, I will um, go ahead and uh, I'll post a link to the. Uh, to your fund fund uh, crowdfunding source uh, site, yeah. and I'll do that both on the podcast and on on the YouTube Thank channel you. for folks, so they can oh. click right through that. And uh, and of course, we'll talk it up on social media as well. Oh, thank you, John. You guys are the best. Thank you. Thank you. No direction. Thank you for the whole network. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Yep. Right. Yep. Ryan's a, a dear friend and a, a wonderful guy. And, and you, you guys just do awesome stuff. I finally joined up on your Patreon. I, that was long <laughs> overdue. I finally yeah. backed it at the highest level so I can just keep enjoying nice. the content nice. and making well, sure thank that you for that. Getting made. No, no, I, I should have done it years ago. I just like, I'm so glad I finally did it because it's, it's, you guys do wonderful things and it's, it's a real pleasure. I got to watch a bunch of these to prepare for for this interview and i really enjoyed those so thank you for that it was great to watch them yeah. yeah well nicholas thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and i look forward to, to chatting with you in the future man yeah for sure yeah here's hoping i'm back with more exciting news at some point soon <laughs>